With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Boomer. Well, it may be a week late, but uh, it actually has come to pass. There are more members of the Redcast than there are the Pac-12. So <laughs> <laughs> We did it. We passed the Pac-12 in membership. That is and I've had to tell San Diego State, no, you cannot be on the show several times. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they could create their new power conference, you know, and add us in, I guess. That's their thought process. I don't know. Uh, also with Redcast, Rob. Yeah, I'd just like to welcome all my new... Uh, favorite Twitter followers from uh, CU coming into the show tonight. I'm sure you're lurking there somewhere. So feel free to jump into the comments and say hi. <laughs> Rob, if you're stoking um, the passions of the CU buff fan base. Um, well, you just use passion and CU buffs in the same sentence. <laughs> that well, is... I said, are you stoking? I mean, like, I mean, I'm, I'm questioning I mean, dude, if you can do it, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't even know if that's possible, Dave. No, I, I think it's it's possible. You know, they're out there. All right. Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Oh, yes. Uh, fall camp is begun and passed. We've got these new uh, theories they dropped uh, for us to all enjoy. So a lot to unpack. And we have a great guest on tonight. So I'm excited. Absolutely. And uh, last but definitely not least, Honky. Yeah. Uh, great minds must think alike. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance, Redcasters, make sure to check out episode one mm. of Nebraska football's A Look In series on YouTube. My head still hurts from running through the wall last night. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, very cool, very cool. All right, well, we do have a great show. I mean, we kind of kicked off our season, whatever season this is, Honky. I, I can't keep track any longer. We're don't even know around forever. I think it's season eight. Uh, with season eight of eight. the Redcast, yeah. uh, with an awesome interview with Tommy Frazier last week. Uh, but we have one of our kind of annual uh, preseason guests on tonight. So, Honky, I'll let you introduce. Yeah, absolutely. We welcome back to the Redcast Heisman voter and owner of Pick 6 Previews, the most accurate P5 magazine from 2012 to 2022, Brett Ciancia. How are you doing, Brett? Hey, well, thanks for having me on. It's good to be back on the Go Big Redcast, one of my favorite stops on my annual radio and podcast tour. And you guys are one of the first to ever invite me onto the show. So, I mean, that was a uh... You know, I've always had a soft spot for the show, and you guys do great work. I tune in throughout the season, especially during uh, if there's a key Nebraska game coming up. I love getting the insider feel from you guys. So, And not to mention, it was great meeting you all in person. Uh, when I was out in Lincoln for the Oklahoma game, got to meet Hockey and Mac, and we did a nice tour of the stadium. Really cool insider access there. Just all the history in that building was unbelievable. And then I uh, got to meet Rob up in uh, New Brunswick, uh, New Jersey, of all places, at the Rutgers game. So, um, yeah, just great to be on with you guys again. It's always an honor. Mm -hmm. Well, you can pick up your copy of uh, the 2023 season preview uh, by going to pick6previews.com. Uh, Brett, you were so kind to send me a copy of the other day in the mail. This is just amazing. I mean, trying to get through all this, I, I couldn't do it all 
in the last couple of days, but we're going to get through a lot of it here tonight. And uh, this, it, it doesn't feel like we've kicked off the season. To Dave's point, we haven't kicked off the Redcast season until we've had Brett right. on where we can start going through all the, the preseason and, and through the season stuff. But uh, before we get to that, I just want to talk about an upcoming show and a couple of our other promos. Uh, we have a, a fan forum coming up on Thursday night, August 10th, with Kendall Wickwire Sr. He's with the uh, Wired Access Podcast, which is on Herd at Sports. Uh, after that, Alumni Hall, and you're going to see their logo up on top of the show throughout. Two Lincoln locations, downtown 1120P and South Point Pavilions behind Barnes & Noble. Uh, pipeline Jerky, let's rebuild the pipeline. Go to pipeline-jerky.com. You can use code REDCAST to get 10% off, and all that money goes to NIL, goes to our offensive line so that we can get back to having Outland, Outland Award winners and all that good stuff. Uh, speaking of good stuff, Smack and Smooch quality apparel, custom-made orders. Go to Smack, at Smack and Smooch. Uh, the shirts, the hats, everything that we have, you can use the QR code there. We also have the links in our descriptions on social media to, to get to our store. And last but not least, the battle in Boulder. That's going to be up at SS Park the night before the Nebraska-Colorado mm-hmm. game. Uh, we've had Tommy Frazier on the show, as Dave mentioned earlier. Uh, he'll be at it. Adam Carricker is going to be at it. Just a bunch of cool things. Uh, if you're going to be out there in the area, if you're going to Boulder for the game, uh, come out there, hang out with the Redcast, yeah. and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be having some fun. The battle in Boulder. Hey, Hockey, where's that event at? It's in Estes Park. At a hotel, I think. <laughs> Just wanted to give you the chance to reemphasize that it's at S's Park, which I think. Yeah, SS, yeah, last time I think I said it's in the mountains somewhere. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't read. I couldn't read the the text was too small. So out as well. Last time I talked with Gary Novotny, the owner of Big Red of the Rockies, and Gary Michaels Clothiers there in Lincoln. Um, he had mentioned to me that there was only about ten or fifteen tickets left, and that was over a week ago. So wow. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great event. I'm looking forward to it. It looks like we've got all of our tickets used now. So, um, I'm actually going to get my wife out of the house and, and with me at a Husker event. So that'll be fun. Cause you know how much she's a huge football fan. So outstanding. <laughs> actually, all right. his wife was going to be there. So that's <laughs> well, Brett, as we usually do with you, we're going to kind of break this into segments and, uh, we're going to start the first part here. We're going to talk about the blue blood programs because that's a, a key part of your, of your magazine each week, each year. But in addition to that, we'll go to national talk. Then we'll talk about the big 10 and then we'll finish talking about Nebraska football. If we have a little time at the end, I think we can even talk about some things like conference realignment and, and different issues that are going on within college football. But we always start with this. Um, it's something that uh, I am very much aligned with you on from a tradition standpoint. And as Husker fans, as Redcasters, we love the idea that we actually show up in this poll and it's mm-hmm. a good thing. It's the Blue Blood program. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do each year, how this fits into the Pick 6 previews, and and uh, what does this mean that we're one of the eight? Yeah, well, um, the Blue Blood program debate, uh, it's an annual poll that I do in, in January each offseason. It's a part of the offseason calendar where there's just nothing going on. And uh, you see Twitter arguing over everything. But one of the things that comes up every year is uh, which programs are considered Blue Bloods. And you know, I've seen different formulas for it. I've seen different metrics. People try and put a number on it. But really, it's, you know, it's everyone has their own definition of what a blue blood means. So I went for the opposite. I went for just a huge poll and just try and get hundreds of thousands of votes and just see where the, the mindset of the overall college football world is at. So I think this year we drew in 170,000 votes, something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, just basic yes, no answers. You know, is Alabama a blue blood? Yes, no. Is Ohio State? Yes, no. 
And what's happened is I think it's the sixth straight year I've done it. It's the same eight programs every year, no matter if some are winning national titles or some are going through their worst five-year stretch in history, like uh, <laughs> like your program. But no, it's a testament to Nebraska that even through their worst years since, what, the 50s or 60s, um, that they're still considered yeah. a blue blood by, what, 70, uh, 75% of the country. So, um, yeah. And then the thing is also, it's not like they're barely breaking through at 51% or something. There's a huge drop off from that top eight every year to the others that are like around 50%, Penn State, Florida State, Georgia, Tennessee. Um, so, and yeah, you can, as you can imagine, uh, since Nebraska is the current program that's down among the eight, they get a lot of question marks on Twitter, a lot of responses, but, um, all these programs have had down, down periods, uh, Oklahoma, uh, USC, Texas had been down. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see if this next hire helps, you know, reignite the program and, and get them back to where they belong in college football's, uh, history. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chilling by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Dave, what was the, what were you asking before we started? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've got a couple of questions on this. I, I, I do find the poll intriguing, and and Brett, you kind of alluded to the fact that it, you just gone with quantity over like any sort of statistical quality, right? That with this poll, you're just trying to get as many votes in as possible. As a as a Nebraska football podcast, we have to acknowledge we probably are better at Twitter than almost any other fan base out there, right? We're very active and and we can kind of cook the books a little bit on this, but it's nice to see. I, I, I agree with the poll. I want to be clear with all of our listeners. I, I think we're a blue blood, but it is intriguing to see how Texas has risen. I'm looking at the stats right now, 24 uh, percentage points apparently compared to last yeah. year. So right, I need to, up nine. Yeah. So like having a better season has actually helped them kind of, you know, so, solidify yeah. that, you know. It's interesting with Texas, though, and this is a problem. Maybe one flaw with the poll, I'll admit, is that certain fan bases can hijack. And uh, it had nothing to do with Texas in this case. It was actually Oklahoma fans that last year <laughs> retweeted it like crazy. I think they had more votes than anybody in the Texas poll, more than their own poll. Oh, wow. And as you can imagine, uh-huh. they, they sank Texas down to like 60-something percent, um, and they barely <laughs> made it last year. So. Yeah, so that plus 24 <laughs> was basically just that OU Twitter didn't find that tweet this year. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I guess that is, you know. It, <laughs> That's hilarious. It really is. I mean, so I think part of the, the logic I might put in next year is just to put a one-hour cap on the tweet. You know, you can time your polls. And if I limit yeah. it to an hour or two, that might limit how far out it gets. But that does mean a lower overall vote count. So, again, I think in, in the big picture, this is an inexact science. It's um, You can talk yeah. to anybody, and they all have different – definitions of it um you know know, people will wait national titles or all americans or just raw wins or how recent they were all that so 
you know, it's just a one snapshot look. And but I think it's interesting at the same eight, even despite some Twitter inconsistencies, every year it's that same eight. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to compare it relative year over year because the hockey does the same thing with every single one of our games every season, right? Where he sends out the will we beat uh, Minnesota, Colorado on down the line, right? And uh, in, in many years, it's been we're going to go twelve and zero. Uh, I think Honky, you said this year it's going to be ten and two, which I'm very impressed with the Nebraska fan base to be tempered that much that they might acknowledge we might lose two games. Yeah, they, they are um, so, and, and we'll and we'll get to the Nebraska record. But you're right, Dave. These are the polls right here, and it's, it's the same same concept. Yeah, but almost curious, almost fifty thousand votes for us. You know, not quite yeah, not quite one hundred and seventy. I'm curious. Uh, Brett on like you said that it's been the same eight teams over the last six years uh, and you do a lot of these radio shows and you interact with a lot of other fan bases uh, do you get a, a lot of um, complaints from say Georgia or Penn State saying like are you kidding me really I mean we're always ninth or tenth and that's not good enough for you you have other fan bases campaigning for them to, to get blue buds yeah yeah, so there's a couple of interesting cases there, and it all comes back to how you define it. I think one interesting case is Florida State, where if you look at any of the historic win counts, you know, if you just look at all-time wins, they're towards the bottom, but that's just a matter of years. That's like a counting mm-hmm. stat, just because yeah. they're such a young school and a young football program. If you look at win percentage, if you're looking at per game, right, uh, they're way up there. So, And they, they maximized on their dynasty. They had three national titles, all those straight top five finishes, so they have an argument. It's just they don't have all the wins that Michigan has before 1900. You know what I mean? So um, that's one interesting case. Penn State, too. Um, I think that they're hurt by their lack of national titles. They have a ton of undefeated seasons, if you look back. Yeah. I mean, they were always a long-term independent. Maybe didn't draw enough uh, big bowl appearances. and um, So they don't have the national titles to match some of the competitors. Uh, Tennessee is a similar case with Nebraska where uh, they they really dominated in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, had a national title in the 90s, but hasn't done much since. And um, so they get some arguments from some of their older fans. And uh, and then really the last one here, and this is a, an interesting case. They might be able to move up into the category is Georgia um, because they have everything else you'd want besides that national title number. And now they just stack two of them. Bang, bang. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. really the, the favorites odds on to do it again this year. So. They have the all-time wins, the win percentage. They have, you know, the Heisman's, all that kind of stuff. It's just they only had the the two national titles, uh, 1942, I believe, and 1982. Got to check my years there. But, you know, one in the 40s, one in the 80s, and then nothing. So that was what was holding them back. But now you start to stack them. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, you start to stack them. Clemson was 81. Penn State was 82. Okay. Right. There you go. So, and now you see that reflected. They got a plus twelve bu- uh, bump here, year to year. So they're they're close. They're ninth in the poll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you Very mentioned cool. Georgia, and I think that gets us into the the national discussion here. And we'll start the national discussion uh, by going over your college football playoff teams that you had in the the pick six preview. So you have as your number one Georgia, number two Michigan, number three. Florida State and number four, Ohio State. So uh, some teams that are in that blue blood category and ones that are sniffing it right around the outside of it too. Um, but from a Big Ten perspective, we're looking at another two teams in it according uh, to the pick six preview. So Ohio State and Michigan making it for a second straight year. Uh, how'd you come to this conclusion? How'd you get to these four teams? 
Yeah, well, I'll start at the top with Georgia. Um, it's just the most proven product in college football right now. They, they recruit right there with Alabama. Uh, they continue to reload after sending record NFL draft classes to the pros. Um, and I think that when you listen to these players post-game or post-practice in the notes, they, they still are motivated. They still think they're the underdog. So credit Kirby Smart for being a master motivator, really, uh, keeping them hungry, chasing a third national title. They're going. They're looking to become the first team since Minnesota in the 30s to go three straight consecutive outright titles. So, uh, would be incredible to pull that off. Uh, they're the odds-on favorite, though. I think that they they have five stars at every position, and really a favorable schedule too. When you look at this, they avoid a lot of the Giants in the SEC West, and nothing out of conference to bat an eye at. So, uh, they're number one for the Big Ten. Uh, this is Michigan's best team yet, and this is coming off of back-to-back conference titles, two playoff appearances in a row. Usually what happens with playoff teams is they send the bulk of their starting lineup to the pros the next year or they, uh, you know, they go to the pros early, not with Michigan. I think it's a record, the amount of production they have coming off of a playoff team. So uh, led by the best offensive line in the country, I think they win the conference again. Um, And Ohio state, I still have in the bracket, as you can see, they're number four. I think there's enough roster talent. Uh, It's still an elite offense. And I think that they're going to still get in there, whether it be 11 and one and they back in like last year, uh, or some other scenario. But um, but now the wild card pick I have is Florida State coming out of the ACC. Um, I think they they just cracked into the preseason poll and the coaches poll around eight, but I've got them up at number three. And a couple quick reasons why. Last year was really the breakthrough year statistically. Um, you look at their metrics, my numbers, they're top 10 in almost everything. And that was last year. They now bring back the number one most returning production off that team. The whole thing's back. They got key NFL decisions from some defenders. Um, but really, uh, and this is the other game changer, is how they've embraced the transfer portal. Another top five transfer hall. While Clemson ignores the portal and is now thin at some positions, Florida State has really bolstered their, uh, their, their roster. So I think they're going to beat Clemson and win the conference and get in there as a one-loss conference champ. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, a year or two ago, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was two years ago. Um, this question goes to Dave. You had, Brett, you had North Carolina and Dave – you had North Carolina in your playoff, and Dave took question with that. Dave, do you have any questions with any of this compared to uh, the North Carolina pick a couple years ago? <laughs> no, not not as much. That's for certain. I I, I see where where Brett's coming with Florida State. You know, I mean, I think they're trending in the right direction, and I think it's the question of do you think they can beat Clemson uh, in the ACC? Right, and that game is early in the season, right, Brett? I mean, it's like yeah. late September, so. If Florida State can win that one game, I, I think they're in pretty good position to really run the table there. And so, I mean, it, it's, they're by no means a guarantee, but if they could beat Clemson early, they're going to be in position. So so I get it. With, with Georgia, totally, I mean, you can't can't take them. But I guess my, my fun question on that one is like, so we're, we're probably the last team to try to go for a three-peat, right? We We – went back to back 94, 95. So, um, you know, we, we didn't get that done. So in, in this year, if you want to translate that 1996 Nebraska team, who, who on Georgia's schedule is their Arizona state? <laughs> yeah. 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 Where's Probably the not ball state or Tennessee. They were like, Oh my goodness. They just didn't come prepared and, and they blew it. Yeah. Well, maybe Missouri. I mean, Missouri played them tough last year, and they're really one-dimensional. It's really just a, an elite uh, elite defense. So maybe something like that could happen. Um, 
But uh, I think Tennessee is too, too highly ranked to be like, considered off the radar. So that's probably the toughest test mm-hmm. in Tennessee. But yeah, I, well, you, I agree with you. The, the the UNC pick will never leave me. You know, I've had some hits, I've had some misses. <laughs> no. I've had some really good hits, some really bad misses, but nothing will come close to the UNC. It's I might as well have had had it tattooed on me. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> that was the worst one. That was the worst one in pick six history. So you're trying to, Brett. Um, last year you had Utah, and Utah made a run. They didn't quite get it done, but they were close. Yeah. Is that, do I am I remembering that right? Yeah, Utah. Um, yeah, of course they they threw an interception in the end zone in the opener against Florida, and that that sunk a playoff pick before we even got off the the starting blocks. But um, yeah, they won the conference again. Proved me right there. Everyone had USC to win the league. I went Utah again. They continue to prove me right in the Pac-12, and uh, I actually have them there a third time this year to to win the Pac-12 over USC. So. We'll see. But, um, yeah, Utah's a proven product. Florida State, a lot more variable. I just have a little bit of faith in the returning production, the transfer hall they brought in, and a lot of yeah. that, um, you know, that dual-threat quarterback, Jordan Travis, NFL talent. So, And, really, it's almost uh, more of a testament to how weak the ACC is. It's almost you can look at it that way, where besides Clemson, I don't see any competitor at all. So um, even if they, they lose to LSU, I still think they have a mulligan there. Um, if they beat LSU in the opener, then they are really sitting pretty. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Know, Dave, it's Dave, oh, I'm sorry. Dave mentioned, you mentioned the 1996 team with Nebraska being the last time that we could have had a three-time a repeat champ. Kind of the downfall of that year was just you lost a lot from the 95 team, the quarterback and, and everything, and you're replacing that. Even with a lot of talent, ton of talent came back in 96, just wasn't able to get over the hump, went 11-2, and two, not a bad year. If you look at Georgia right now, you know, losing Bennett, losing that quarterback, that that solid person you've had back there now for the last few years, you know, I mean, is that where is there a chink in the armor somewhere with Georgia that, you know, that you could see a couple, one or two or three close losses? Or is there just such a talent differential? I mean, you think it, at worst this is 11 and one. I mean, what do you what do you look at when you're looking at number one right now? Well, I think if you're looking at raw talent, I don't see any holes on the roster. That's a boring answer, but it's five stars everywhere. So unless all the mm-hmm. five stars, unless they missed on all their five stars, which is extremely rare, you know, you talk uh, with Stetson Bennett leaving, he was an incredible college quarterback, um, but they have multiple five stars battling to be a successor. I think the flaw, if you want to find one, I don't think it's player personnel, but it could be coordinator wise where they lose Todd Mockin, the mastermind of their offense. Mm-hmm. He really helped mm-hmm. modernize that team. If you look back at Georgia five years ago, it was still old-fashioned, stuck-in-the-mud offense, but he really uh, modernized them. Now he's with, I think, the Baltimore Ravens, and they're going through a coordinator change there. So if there is a weakness, maybe you lose some of that play-calling and scheme edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. 
Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right. Well, let's get to the conferences then on a national level. And the SEC, you've got uh, Georgia winning that. The Big Ten, you have Michigan. The ACC, you have uh, Florida State. Big 12, you have Texas. And then the Pac-12, from what we could tell, is it just right now you you couldn't make a decision? Is it Utah and Washington tied? Or, or, you know, how are you looking at the Pac-12, I guess, with with those two? Yeah, so I have Utah winning it, um, but uh, in terms of uh, the, the conference ranking prediction, like the standings prediction, I have them both finishing with the same conference record. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for that point of view, yeah, tie. It's taking a tie in first place because they scrapped their divisions over there. It's uh, it's no longer the North and South. It's one through twelve. You got to rank these teams. So, but no, I see a, a Las Vegas title game between Utah and Washington with Utah winning their third straight crown. Um, yeah, no USC there. I think that uh, it's still a major liability on defense for them. Um, and I, I have enough trust in Utah's staff and players. You know, very quietly, that whole team is back from last year. You know, the one that beat USC twice and embarrassed them in Las Vegas, that whole team is back. So uh, I think they're going to get it done again. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about uh, the health of Cam Rising? You think he's, he's playing early in the season or he's going to come back slow? Yeah, well, that's definitely a question point, and so is the health of their tight end, Brent Keithy. Uh, they were both held out of spring. You know, when I watched the spring game, they were there in their T-shirts and, and hats. So um, I think that they're still projected to make it. Now, you know, a matter of weeks could be the difference of missing all four games or zero games. So uh, if that's yep. the case, I mean, they won a couple games without rising last year. Um, I like their backup, Nate Johnson. He's a speed demon quarterback. At, you know, he's really fast runner. Um, and I'm sure he's getting all the ones reps all offseason. So I think they're going to be fine uh, early on. Now, they do draw some tough openers with Florida and Baylor. But in terms of a conference yeah. race, I'm picking a conference winner. The rising will be back for all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the way to look at it. I agree. Hey, well, Boomer, you grew up uh, in West Texas. You were even a Longhorn fan at times growing up. What are your thoughts here? You see big the Big 12 the last year of Texas in the Big 12 on top? Or you, is Texas are you, back? Are you buying Texas there, Boomer? Are you buying No, not until selling? they actually – no, I, not until they actually win the conference. And God only knows, you know. But Boomer, Clint Ewer has cut his hair. Well, that's true. So I was just saying, <laughs> you know, we might have some familiarity with, you know, Big 12 refereeing, you know, when you're leaving the conference. So eh, you never know what could happen there in some of those conference games. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you it'll say, be in our, well, yeah, and that's just kind of the odd thing. You look at a lot of these teams and how many of them aren't in these conferences next season. So, or after this season. Oof. So, it's, it's crazy. When you think about it, if Texas is back or not, you got to consider they've ruined more conferences than national titles they've won. So, I mean, they are back <laughs> to doing that. We've seen Pac 12 wiped away as a you know, domino of what they did. So, they're back to doing that at least. Well, I have a question, too, though, about that, because I I saw Texas on there. It's interesting because teams like TCU, Kansas State and Oklahoma, right? You have them all basically one, two, three, four on there. And I'm curious why Texas over the other three. Kansas State, um, you know, looked good in the first half, at least against Alabama at one point. But, um, you know, Oklahoma, TCU coming out of a national championship. So what's the you know, what's that about? Yeah, so uh, we'll start with TCU. Incredible one-year turnaround by Sonny Dykes. Um, they lose the entire offense. So, I mean, Max Duggan gone, both the receivers, both All-American linemen, both running backs. So complete rebuild personnel-wise on offense. I do like their secondary, their back seven. But, um, no, I think that they're going to take a little bit of a step back. 
with Kansas State, uh, what a proven program builder Kleiman has become, moving up from the FCS ranks uh, up to the, the Big 12. And they really grinded away a conference title last year. Very impressive. Texas beat them last year, though. Um, and then when you look at Oklahoma, still a very, very you know, mystery team, a wild card team. They recruit the best in the conference right there with Texas, looking for a second-year bonus under Venables this year. But uh, what led me to the Texas pick, uh, first, I always like to look back at last year. Uh, statistically, so they had a couple close losses. Um, they were top 10 on both sides of the ball in a lot of metrics, uh, and they bring back a lot. Uh, I think nine starters or 10 starters back from the offense, only losing Bijan Robinson. And yes, that's a huge loss, but uh, the rest of the thing is back. Great transfer halls again. Um, I don't really see a weakness. And then when you look at coordinators, I like both of them. Uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, he built those Washington defenses that made the playoff about five or six years ago. Uh, and Kyle Flood, a great offensive line developer. So they look like the total package. And I, I understand that Texas usually underperforms against expectations. So, you know, I, I don't have I'm not confident enough to put them in the playoff, but uh, they're my pick right now in a very uncertain league uh, to win it here. Yeah, speaking oh. of uncertain leagues like that, when when you have a scenario like in the Big 12 where you've got BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston all joining, how do you slot them in and how do you go about kind of judging how they fit? Yeah, that was a new feature of the, of the book this year, adding so many new teams. That's uh, We've had the same Tower 5 lineup for a while. So, yeah, I got to welcome in UCF, Houston, Cincinnati. Um, I think it's a significant step up in competition. And I know that – Cincinnati and UCF, they've had their wins over the Power Five on the national stage, but that might have been a bowl game here and there or an opener. To, to do it nine straight weeks, it's a it's a total it's, it's a whole new beast. So I think it's a big uh, step up in talent that we're going to be facing off against. And only UCF out of that pack do I have in the top half of the conference. I think that the other three are going to go through some growing pains. Um, Houston, I have dead last in the league. Uh, BYU tied in ninth, and Cincinnati down at twelfth. Cincinnati might have been higher, but they lost their coaching staff and lost a ton of players to the transfer portal, mass exodus, and a lot more to the pros. So uh, complete rebuilds for Cincy and Houston. All right, fellas. Well, let's move on to the Big Ten here. And we'll start with the Big Ten East. And you've got ranked one through seven, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland in the middle at four, Michigan State fifth, Indiana and Rutgers. And as I'm looking at that schedule, I, I noticed that two of our wins last year came against number six and seven. It was nice having Indiana and Rutgers on the schedule. Uh, Nebraska does not have that this year. Uh, Nebraska will be playing Maryland, Michigan State, and Michigan out of that bunch. Uh, <laughs> walk us through this uh, this Big Big Ten East here, uh, Brett. How'd you come with this order? Well, I think right away, look at the top. It's one of the most top-heavy in America. You could argue all three of them are playoff contenders. Uh, I first researched Penn State and was blown away by everything they had on the roster. It looks like they fixed their longtime problem at offensive line. A five-star quarterback coming in as a starter. Um, you know, a lot of staff retention, a lot of player retention. So I thought right away, hey, this could be the, the winner and a playoff pick. The next day, I do Michigan, and Michigan's just better at every spot. They're more proven at every spot. They've already done it, right? Two-time defending champs, two-time playoff. Um, so I, I boxed out Penn State, but still strong enough to be seventh nationally. Um, and competing for, for a conference crown. So I went Michigan, Ohio State 2, Penn State 3, um, and then a huge, huge drop-off down to number 4, Maryland. I think the drop is number 7, Penn State, to number 41, Maryland, in the Power 5 landscape. So almost like a different conference to talk about. As top threes in the country, you could say 
the the best top three of any division in the country. Mm-hmm. We're kind of losing you a little bit here, Brett. So I don't know if you're moving around the basement. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we can get a good connection with you here. But what you're saying is the top three, there's a big difference between the top three of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. And once it gets to Maryland and, and the rest, there's a quite the drop-off in the Big Ten East, correct? Right, yeah. There's a huge drop-off there. Um, you know, I, I considered Penn State for a playoff spot. Uh, mm. Then I, the next day I looked at Michigan, and Michigan's just uh, stronger at every position group and had, had done it mm. twice in a row. So, I, you know, Michigan's the pick. But from Penn State to Maryland, you go from 7th all the way down to 41st in the Power 5 landscape. So huge drop-off. Um, but, uh, yeah, still a very strong top three. One, probably the strongest mm-hmm. top three in the country. Oh, well, I was just going to ask you that. Is there any other division, any other conference that has something similar? You know, the, the SEC West, the SEC East. Is there anything close from a top three? No, I mean, I, I don't think there is uh, because you could argue SEC West with Alabama and LSU, but who's their third? Who's the third punch there? And I don't know. Is A&M mm-hmm. or Ole Miss on the same level as Penn State this year? I don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. so in terms of three, I would go big 10 East and it also brings up a point where there's a, there's a scenario that could happen. It's kind of a deep cut, but the 2008 big 12 South, that was, uh, Texas tech with Graham Harrell, Mike Leach, Oklahoma yeah. with Sam Bradford and then the Colt McCoy team at Texas, they went in a triangle of losses, you know, one, 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 they all beat each other. And, uh, it was an 11 and one tiebreaker scenario, a triangle. So, uh, this is a, a deep cut, but it could be a 2008 big 12 South here if they all beat each other once. Uh, you'll mm-hmm. you'll be left with three playoff caliber teams. Not that all three you know, will make the bracket, but they're all going to be considered. I, I have one fun fact for you, Brett. And the Redcast here, Boomer, Mac, Dave, and I were in Norman, Oklahoma, the yeah. night of Crabtree catching that touchdown pass mm-hmm. against Texas. In fact, we were right across the street from uh, Gaylord Family Stadium watching it and watching Oklahoma fans going nuts. Um, it was kind of an embarrassing night oh for us because we got blown out. We were down like thirty-five nothing at the end of the first quarter. But oh, but to be part of like <laughs> to be yeah. part of history that way that to watch Oklahoma fans responding to Texas Tech getting ahead of Texas uh, that night that was a, that was a crazy setting. Yeah, that uh, is pretty you, cool. That's an angle of that, that I never saw before. I never thought about that. Brett, you you beat me to the punch. I was going to ask if there's a, this chance of this. Um, 11 to one tie um, at, at in first place there for the, for the big 10 East. So glad you brought that up. I mean, if that happens, you, you got to think that uh, Penn state has really hit with uh, this quarterback uh, drew Alar. Is that right? I, I, I keep on hearing his names pronounced slightly differently, yep. even from his head coach, apparently, but I mean, I haven't seen this guy play at all. Really. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, well, I saw him in spots last year. He got some time against their MAC opponents, and he looked fine. He looked like you'd expect, and uh, he got in right yeah. in the opener against Purdue, and and you saw the strong arm right away. Uh, I think he misfired, mm-hmm. but you saw the the arm strength. But uh, their their fans have been raving for two years now to get him in there. They're excited. Um, they were they were even booing Sean Clifford at their whiteout game because they wanted the five star Drew Aller to come in. <laughs> so uh, I think that the. Pen- it's wild, but uh, Penn State has wanted this for a long time. They finally had their five-star guy, um, and all, and really not just a quarterback, but it's it was a top five recruiting class two cycles ago. They're all now in their second, yeah. third years on campus. Um, you know, I'm based out of Pennsylvania. These people have been talking about that recruiting class for a long time. It's it's helped buy James Franklin more years uh, all the way up until uh, this Rose Bowl really you know solidified his progress for the program. 
But um, yeah, yeah they've, there's high expectations. Circled this year as, as an as an opportunity, right? Yeah, it just happens that you're in the in the Big Ten East, right? You know, Penn State with this this roster a couple of years from now, um, in a uh, non division uh, Big Ten might be, you know, feeling like a, a likely candidate for a twelve team playoff. Yeah, I well, mean, if you put them right now, if you put them in the Pac-12 or the Big 12, I pick them to win it. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, there you go. Wow, that's impressive. Redcasters watching and listening. We're getting closer. We're moving closer to Nebraska. Here we go to the Big 10 West. And from first to seventh, you have Wisconsin, Luke Fickle's first season, number one. Iowa, number two. Illinois, number three. Minnesota, who Nebraska plays three weeks from tomorrow night, August 31st, at the at Minneapolis, Number four, Nebraska at fifth, Purdue at sixth, Northwestern at seventh, and all the craziness that's gone on in their offseason. So uh, you have the Northwestern craziness. You have Purdue, Wisconsin, Nebraska all bringing in new coaches. Uh, how did you come to this order for the West, uh, Brett? Yeah, this was really the division of change this year. All those new head coaches, a lot of new coordinators, a lot of new quarterbacks, uh, scandal, Northwestern there late in the picture, but – um, yeah, I ultimately landed on Wisconsin. Uh, I really love their coaching hires all over the place. Uh, we'll start with Luke Fickle, great program builder at Cincinnati. Uh, if you watch the NFL draft, you kept seeing Cincinnati's name come up. And, and you should know they're nowhere near the top 25 as a recruiter. I mean, they're, they were a non-AQ team when he was there. And, um, so the way he developed those kind of players in the NFLers was impressive. Great defensive mind, too, um, uh, with Trestle coming over. But really, the offense, I'm really intrigued to see. It's a new look offense under Phil Longo, a coach I like to talk to each offseason. Um, part of the reason that talked me into the UNC pick, actually, how, how great that offense was at UNC. They just had nothing else to go with it. But um, so, yeah, they're still going to run the ball, but it's going to look a lot different. They're going to be spread formations. It's going to be fast tempo. Um, but they brought in a great quarterback in Mordecai and a lot of good receivers. It's a totally rebuilt offense. So I went with Wisconsin as the overall West winner. Is there any concern? I know we've talked about this at Nebraska. A little bit of the comparison of back in the day, Solich gets fired. They bring in Callahan. We switch everything. We switch offenses. We, we go in completely different direction uh, from a coach who was winning at a 70-plus percent clip, very similar to what Paul Chris was doing there at, at Wisconsin. And, um, you know, they wanted to make a change. And they've made a change, a clear change at Wisconsin. It's going to be very different looking there than what it was in the past. And it might work out great. But is there a fear? Is there a risk that that change, too, could it blow up in their face? I mean, Wisconsin likes to copy Nebraska from colors to, to you know, running the football and, and all the things that, you know, Barry Alvarez brought. <laughs> Have they copied Nebraska in a bad way now? Well, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think there's a couple of things here. Um, you know, I think that in the new transfer portal and NIL age, um, you know, they're still committed to their old fashioned formula. I mean, I think Luke Fickle has even come out and say he wants to be still a high school recruiter and developing program, uh, you know, the anti Dion, if you will. Now, um, so I think that they still want to do their development, their walk ons, all, all the stuff that they actually copied Nebraska from. But but now all that I think they're going to they're, they're gonna retain that. Mindset. Uh, and then in terms of the offense, yeah, it's going to look different. They're going to throw it a lot more, but they are still going to run the ball. And I think this gets overlooked when you hear Phil Longo and Air Raid and UNC. UNC actually led the ACC in rushing for the four years that he was there. It's They definitely, if the numbers are in the box, you know, if you don't respect their run game, they're going to pound it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm interested to see it. I, but uh, I, I do think they're going to, you know, they're still going to have that elite defense. 
Um, I think the bigger shock wasn't that they fired Chris. It's that they didn't hire Jim Leonard, though. I thought that he was mm. Mr. Wisconsin. I thought they were going to go with him. But uh, they got a great one in Fickle um, and, a, and a good offensive mind, too. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a successful tenure here. Dave? Yeah. You know, Brett, could, could the numbers lie a little bit on Phil Longo in North Carolina? I mean, sometimes run game stats are opportunistic, right? You, to your point, if the numbers aren't in the box, they're gonna they're gonna run, right? Um, whereas there's a there's a mentality where you you want to say that I want to establish a line of scrimmage and I'm gonna I'm gonna be you know tougher, stronger, bigger, all that type of stuff, right? Um, you know, at times mm-hmm. Nebraska could run the ball with frost, but we never felt like we really like dominated the other team very often. Right. And, and, and you can say you're going to run the ball, but if you're a coordinator who has often relied on throwing the ball in crunch time, that is what your trait is. Um, I think the Longo is still probably, even though he has good numbers running the ball with Carolina, doesn't mean he, he doesn't think, pass first I guess you know I, I feel like the transition from yeah. the offensive lineman it's different right in the sense of like and Mac and Hockey can talk about this for like an hour but like if you know you're going to run the ball and you're just going to impose your will on somebody you're going to push forward right where if you know that you are running in, in a run game situation where it's more of a a, a pass block that you might run out of etc um, and, and the lateral quickness of those offensive linemen need to uh, exhibit and you're talking about Wisconsin guys who are used to just plowing forward. It's a different type of blocking, you know? I mean, I, I guess I still struggle a little bit buying into the Wisconsin hype with they're going to still run the ball. Don't worry. Bill Longo likes to throw it, but we're still Wisconsin. I'm like, eh, let's find out. I don't know. What, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, sir. Yeah. So there's a pro and a con. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, the pro is that on a per play basis, they're productive. I mean, they are getting their yards. I think they stacked a couple thousand yard rushers in the same season together. But I do agree with you on this point, and it backs up what you were saying. When they get into crunch time, when they get into the red zone, that offense crumbles a little bit. And uh, that's been a problem for years at UNC. They can move it really well up until inside the 10, the 20, and then they freeze up because, to your point, they don't have that physicality when it matters most. When the defense knows you're going to run it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, It might be better to run when there's less in the box and you catch them by surprise, but uh, when push comes to shove, they did lack some physicality at UNC. So I agree with you on that. That is a concern. I, I'm i curious, too. Like, I guess I don't know how else to put this. What's your margin of error, I would say, ranking one through five? Because um, I don't really expect a whole lot out of Purdue or Northwestern this year. But, you know, I mean, you've got them in there. But, I mean, you know, Nebraska beat Iowa last year. And, you know, they open up with Minnesota. So let's say they win that game. Like, all of a sudden, like, how, you know, what – where do you come with that? I don't know why you're laughing, Dave. I'm just curious. I'm no, I'm no. Like, I think we're going to get to Nebraska here in a little bit. But well, I, I, well, I wasn't even asking about Nebraska. I'm I just thought the overall division itself, like where you rank, like a margin of error with that, because all those teams seem like they'd be really close this year, and in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, it was definitely one of the more difficult divisions to predict. Um, you know, it's a lot of uncertainties. I, I think they're all in the middle tier. I think Wisconsin is at twentieth. And then you have Nebraska around 50th. So I guess that is a decent chunk there. But, yeah, I don't know. You could argue for any of these that there's some pros and cons. I mean, with Wisconsin, mm-hmm. we touched on it. With Iowa, I know what we're getting. We're getting an elite defense again. And you'd think with some of the personnel changes, it's got to be at least slightly better offensively. Even slightly better offensively is nine wins. 
Um, Illinois, yeah, usually they're towards the bottom of my predictions, but uh, they they proved their their model last year. Uh, Minnesota, again, they continue to produce nine win teams under Fleck. Um, so yeah, this one, this division was very tough. I looked a lot at the cross division too to see who they drew uh, in the cross division slate. That helped a little bit in my decisions, but. Yeah, it was one of the more difficult, I'm not going to lie. You know, the East is very clear-cut where there's your top three and then a bottom four. This one's very fluid. It's just kind of a, a mess of teams. You know, Brett, I was going to say the same thing there, that you know the, the East seemed to be very much a top three and bottom four. It, I guess to Rob's kind of question there, is there – do you see a huge gap? I guess – is there is there a gap between just six and seven, and that's where the big gap yeah, is? Exactly. You know, like Northwestern's yeah, so bad, exactly. or, or is there a, is there a drop off somewhere that you see like it's clearly the top two, and then three through five, and then six and seven, or how do you kind of gauge that? Yeah, I guess if I had to, I'd say the biggest is between six and seven. I think the Northwestern's so far removed from competing. Uh, I mean, Purdue just Jeez. won the thing; they just won the Big Ten West, and uh, despite <laughs> a coaching transition, they should be competitive again. And, but with Northwestern, yeah, I think I have them dead last in the Power Five, if not second to worst behind Stanford. Um, they're they're mm-hmm. they're awful this year at most position groups and going through a tough tragedy there all season. So uh, mm-hmm. that's the divide. Is I had six contenders, really six that could you know, push for bowl season or eight wins or whatever. But with Northwestern, they're nowhere close. Yeah, yeah, you know, that is so crazy though. To your point, the number six team here is the de- defending champ of this division. And like Rob said, hey, Nebraska's beat number two, but we also lost to number seven last year. Like nothing makes yeah, sense. There's yeah. nothing easy about this. I don't know that there's one great team, but I definitely know there's one really, really not great team. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that's nice. Yeah. Nice um, yeah. Dude, you know, I, I think I I think I I pretty much agree with this. I, I might switch uh Wisconsin and Iowa around maybe, but that I, it comes down to it doesn't really come down to it, but one of the factors here is quarterback play. Who do you think is the best quarterback in the Big Ten West? Ooh, good question. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, I'll probably go with Tanner Mordecai from Wisconsin. I mean, let's let's see who we're competing with. You have uh, Cade McNamara from Iowa. Yeah. Uh, another transfer coming in at Illinois, uh, Luke Altmeyer, Minnesota, uh, uh, Calic Manis, the new back, you know, former backup of Tanner Morgan. The Greek gunslinger. I, I can – yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeff Sims, I consider up there too. Uh, I want to see him in this offense. We'll get to Nebraska next, but he is incredible to watch. Uh, really, a highlight reel waiting to happen. And don't, uh, don't, don't forget about Hudson Card at Purdue. Yeah, a top fifty recruit. Obviously, lost a battle against Ewers, but that's a tough quarterback room to deal with at Texas. So, um, to answer your you question, might be the highly go most... with Mordecai right now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that. That's and that's why you probably have Wisconsin above Iowa, right? I mean, I think if you felt like. Cade McNamara would be enough of a game changer for Iowa offensively um, since they still have the same offensive coordinator. <laughs> um, that He's got incentive to score, score points this year, Dave. So that's, or that's someone right. does in that whole team. If they yeah. can get to 25, right? Um, uh, <laughs> hockey has a race to the, the six. Iowa has the race to 25. The game. race to 25 uh, for Iowa there, yeah. But Mordecai, SMU guy, is that right? Was he somewhere before SMU even? Is this his third stop? Can't he remember, was, but it's, it's yeah, he was a I, I don't know much about the guy. Top, I just know he, he threw the ball a lot. Yeah, I think he started out at Oklahoma. He was a five-star or high four-star guy. Went to Oklahoma, lost the battle there against one of those highs and winners, and uh, transferred to SMU. <laughs> I think he's put up 
uh, consecutive Davy O'Brien uh, finalist uh, seasons or something. He got a lot of hype down there, a lot of yards, a lot of stats. But uh, really take a look at what Wisconsin added to their receiver room. I think that's a game changer uh, for mm-hmm. that offense. It's several four-star and five-star guys, uh, and, and even the, the existing guys are all back. So uh, it's not only just a play on Mordecai, it's really the surrounding cast. Their backs are incredible, that, that duo uh, at Wisconsin. Cool. So when you're comparing Iowa and Wisconsin's offenses, I look at the total package, not just QB to QB. Because um, Wisconsin has a lot more firepower than Iowa has. Mm. That, that's I'm, great. That's- I am buying what you're selling, Brett, with, with Wisconsin. I am. I just – my only hesitation is, man, that's such a change. Like, we're talking about the receiving core, what they brought in. And that <laughs> when I think of Wisconsin, yeah. I'm thinking of, you know – gigantic linemen and, and double tight end sets. I'm not thinking of three and four wides, but to your point, I mean, this could be the, this could be what takes Wisconsin over the, the hump, what they've missed. I, I just wonder if they go in the other direction, but, but I, I am buying what you're selling here. I really am. But I would, uh, I would just add also to that. think about what, right. what held them back to a quarterback the last couple of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did yeah. have a uh, question from a, a listener here. We've apparently breached the uh, Boilermakers media market. Uh, Long-time <laughs> listener and a P6P purchaser asking about Purdue. Uh, if they're upset week one, is they likely looking at an 0-10 start? <laughs> oh, and 10 No way. Uh, I think Purdue's a solid team. It's just uh, it's, a, it's a crowded division. And um, I, I think that Ryan Walters is a great uh, defensive mind. I think it's going to be a transition to his head coaching role, and um, we'll see, though. I think it's a long-term, it's a good hire for them. They're kind of rare, too, because they're always offense first uh, to go with a defensive mind. But, I mean, look what he did at Illinois. He turned them from one of the worst secondaries into the number one secondary in the country last year. Uh, Several guys early in the NFL draft in Illinois, you just don't see that very often. So uh, they got a great young up-and-coming coach. Mm -hmm. Thank for the question there, Matt uh, Dave. No, I just said, I mean, I appreciate the question because the thought process is good because after Fresno State, they play uh, Vod Tech and Syracuse, and then they don't get Northwestern until um, till week 11. So, yeah, they, they've got a tough stretch there where they might not be wow. favored in, in too many of those games. So they play 11 P5s, well, one of them being Northwestern, but that's <laughs> not really. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> You know, this is, I think, a good point here. Redcasters, thank you, by the way, for the Purdue question. Redcasters, Mac, mm-hmm. wake up, Mac. Mm-hmm. Let's get to Nebraska. This is the final part of this. And, uh, you know, Dave, you already mentioned earlier kind of what my offseason mantra has been. And, Brett, to, to bring you up on it, I, I've said it for us, it, to me, it's the race to six. And the race to six is just that. How quick can we get to six wins? Um if we're 6-0 and after six games, awesome, right? Let's reevaluate. Let's get to 8, 9, 10, 11 wins. Like like Redcaster said, let's go 10-2, and two, right? right? But if we're 5-6, and six, when Iowa comes to town on Black Friday, let's get that sixth win. Let's beat them for a second straight season. Let's get to a bowl game that's so important at a place, a blue blood like Nebraska, to get back to the bowl games. And it's something that's been you know far too long for us. So I don't, I'll never put ceilings on this program. I'll never say we can only go 8-4. and four. We, you know, I, I wonder what TCU ceiling a lot of people last year would have said, you know, in year one of the Dykes era, a lot of people would have given the ceiling to them too, right? So it, anyone can beat it. But coming into the season, for me, it is getting to six at least. Getting that bowl game is so crucial, so important. So, Brett Sianci, not to put you on the on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Are we going to a bowl game this year? <laughs> 
I'm going to have to say yes for the bowl season. I think that that's yes. definitely going to happen. Uh, <laughs> Go Big Red! games here on the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I was wrong the one year I picked you to win the West, so don't take my my word for it too much. But no, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of areas of strength on the roster. Um, there's a lot of winnable games here, and it's just numbers of some of those close games have to start reversing the wins. You already saw it last year. You got the Iowa streak ended. Really had Wisconsin so close again. Really almost ended that streak. But um, yeah, you look at some of these games. Uh, they might be on the road, but they're still winnable. They're still toss ups. Uh, the swing games being Minnesota. Uh, Michigan State, even in Illinois, uh, those are all winnable ball games, and um, I think there's enough on that plate to get the six for sure. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out. Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You know, right here, we have a graphic that uh, graphic designer Swobes created for us. It's ranked the toughest 23 uh, road games for us. So to your point there, we start with Minnesota in week one in a very strange scheduling uh occurrence for us only the third time in the modern era of nebraska football we start the season with two road games in a row so the red cast will be at minnesota on august 31st and then i'm heading out to uh, colorado to see dave and rob out there uh in boulder the next weekend then we have illinois on a friday night after the michigan game so a six-day rest after playing michigan we go out and play uh illinois and then uh, uh, Michigan State, which is apparently going to be an easy win for us, according to Redcasters, because oh. I think they had us at like 75% winning in East Lansing. I love you, Redcast Nation, but that, that seems nice. And then we go out to Wisconsin. If you were ranking these five games here, uh, Brett, it, from one to five, hardest to, to most likely to win, how would you do this? Well, I think the, the hardest spot, right away oh, is – yeah, well, it's a good question. I think the hardest right away is Wisconsin. So we'll put that as the hardest. I have them winning the, the division like we talked about. Tough place to mm-hmm. play. Um, second toughest, I'll probably go with uh, at, at Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I check that. Let me flip that to at Minnesota. Just because you're catching, it's the season opener, the first game ever of this new era. You know, you have new coordinators, mm-hmm. new quarterbacks, a whole new roster. So I think Nebraska in the opener, that's a tough draw to go into Minnesota. Uh, they're just such a well-established program, what they have there. It's very uh, a, lot, a lot of continuity. So I'll say Minnesota number two, just because it's the opener of an era. Um, third hardest right in the middle, I'll go with at Illinois. Uh, just a solid team. You know, they're physical. You know you're getting from them. It's a solid top 30 team. Uh, that leaves the second easiest or fourth hardest, however you want to phrase it. Uh, <laughs> I'd, go with Colo- I'd go with Colorado there. Who am I forgetting here? Oh, Michigan, Michigan State. State. Michigan I forgot State. Michigan State. Um, I will go Michigan State with the number four spot, with Colorado being the easiest. I think you're catching uh, – yeah, I think Colorado is very overhyped. Um, I was on Sirius XM Radio back in March, and they were asking me, uh, can Colorado get to 10 wins? And I almost chuckled. I was thinking, you know, their Vegas number is probably going to be less than half of that. I, I, I think my answer was if they get to half of that 10 wins, that's a huge miracle success. Um, it's just we never see anything like it in college football. 65 new players just a really a Frankenstein roster put together. Um, so I just don't think it's going to click. And if it does click, it's not going to happen by week two. So I think you catch them at a great time. Um, mm-hmm. And I, 
you know, you guys know the stadium's going to be all red anyway. So uh, I don't know if the, I don't know no if that Colorado game qualifies for this question. Actually, this, it, this is why we love the toughest road game. Does that count? I don't think it counts. Yeah. Well, I, I have the race to six for Nebraska, but I have like the race to three for Colorado. So, uh, no, this is uh, that's very appropriate. Um, you know, so let's get to Nebraska here. Let's talk about, you know, what we have coming back. If we start on the offensive side, you've already talked about the quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, you mentioned you, we brought up Jeff Sims. So he's one of the transfers, one of the many transfers in the Big Ten West. Obviously, he has. There's a very I don't it's not Jekyll and Hyde even and Mac, I'll kind of talk with you about this. It's not just Jekyll and Hyde, it's high risk and high reward with him. Tons of production, tons of scores and touchdowns, but a lot of of of, of turnovers that have come along with it. And Dave, you brought this up over the offseason too, injuries as well. Yeah. So um I'm gonna ask you, Mac, and then Brett, we want to get you into this. You know, Mac, when you look at Jeff Sims right now, what do you what are your impressions? What you've seen, we're a week into a fall camp. What are you wanting to see out of that quarterback position? Mostly, mostly just consistency. Mostly just uh, um, playing smart, you know, like being a manager and being explosive when necessary. I just, uh, I, I haven't heard a ton of hype around him. You know, like when, when <laughs> Adrian's second year, there was nothing but hype about him. I mean, he had a good freshman year, but his second year, everybody was looking at him. Really. Sims doesn't make a lot of lists, even for the top transfer quarterback list. And I'm fine with that. I think, and and for good reasons, his numbers are what they are. His his turnover margin isn't great, and you know we've had a bit of an issue with that around here. So that Ooh. does that does make me a little gun shy about just jumping on board because you know they always say the best predictor of production is past production, right? So I mean we, the numbers are what they are. But what if you were going to if you were going to say get on the new NCAA football that's set to come out next year um, and create a quarterback? I his he would end up looking a lot like Jeff Sims, you know, oh, same sure. kind of seeds, uh, same arm strength, you know, accuracy is something you can work on, but you still have to see it. So, you know, obviously the offensive line starts it off, but to look at what kind of year we have, if, if Sims is anywhere sniffing, even second team, all conference, third team, all conference, we're having a good year. We're having that's, a good that's year. easily bowling. Well, me. Brett, I mean, I think that that opens it up to you. What are you expecting out of, out of Sims in year one here? What would you say is a, I don't want to say ceilings. I hate saying ceilings, but I mean, what's a talent-wise? What is he? What is he at? What can Matt Rule do with him? Maybe to 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 fix some of the the errors that he's done at Georgia Tech with the uh, with the, the turnovers and everything. What can what can we expect out of Sims? What's a great best case scenario kind of thing out of him? Yeah, with Jeff Sims, I mean, we've seen the ceiling at times. So he's flashed it all the way back since 2020 when he was a freshman. Um, I remember watching him at Georgia Tech. He was running all over the field. He's got 4-4 speed, uh, so really impressive. I know Matt Rule has watched him for years, too, and uh, has been gushing over him at the, at the podium, and rightfully so. The upside is definitely there. So when we talk about some of the limitations, the turnovers, the mistakes, I want to see more of it, though, because I don't know how much of that was the coaching at Georgia Tech or the scheme there or the personnel they had around him. There's so many variables there. It was a really tough, really tough spot the last couple of years at Georgia Tech, so – but the stuff that you can't fake or that you can't blame others for, the athleticism is certainly there. So uh, he's a dynamic player. I, I can't wait to see him. I know Nebraska loves fast quarterbacks, you know, running quarterbacks, but Ooh. looks like this guy has an arm too. So it's exciting to see. Fast quarterbacks and faster women. That's what we like. But anyway, um, <laughs> what I was going to say was, is, is that added a whole new element to how you have to rate these? Because you look at past production, you look at numbers, but a lot of times these guys are coming from different schools, different conferences, different, different offenses. Like how hard does that make your job now to, to kind of unpack what they did 
project what they're going mm-hmm. to do. And, you know, I mean, it just seems so difficult. Yeah, it's it's gotten 10 times harder than when I started this uh, 10 years ago. I mean, back then it was very consistent year to year. The rosters didn't change much. If somebody transferred, he was probably a backup anyway. You never heard of the guys. So now you have starters, mm-hmm. all conference guys transferring, even rec- record-setting quarterbacks like Sam Hartman. And that's actually a great example to bring up because, yeah, I do this on a player-by-player or position-by-position basis, where with mm-hmm. Sam Hartman, he was very proven at Wake Forest. But that's a very specialized offense. It's a very unique offense, that, that slow mesh they run. Uh, they're not going to be running that at Notre Dame. So um, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, you'd think that with that kind of transfer that I have Notre Dame up in the top 10, it's, it's not always a one-to-one case like that. And the inverse of that could be true with Sims, where the athleticism certainly there, but maybe the system didn't fit what he was doing or – uh, maybe he needs better coaching around him. So it, it's definitely uh, an exhaustive full year project uh, that I do. Yeah. Here. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love so much about the project that you do every year with Pick Six Previews, one of the reasons I think it's so unique as a publication is that it's not simply wins and losses and just looking at stats from the year before. You talk about win conversion, you talk about player development, you actually rank it, something I, I haven't seen any other magazines do. Nebraska over the last five-year period has been number 19, relatively high out of the 69 P5s. It's a respectable number. Respectable, number 19 It's a, in recruiting. So number 19 out of 69 in, in recruiting. But out of 69 teams, and I think we all understand this because we started this podcast back in 2017, we are number 69 out of 69 in win conversion. And we're number 66 of 69 in player development. To put that in perspective, you know, to put it in perspective, Iowa from the West is number two in win conversion. Minnesota is sixth in player development. Iowa is third. Minnesota is fourth. Purdue is fifth. Wisconsin is sixth. So they don't recruit at the level that we do, but they turn around players and develop them. This is something we're going to hear a lot about here, or we've been hearing a lot about with Coach Rule is development. Man development's important. We in this fall camp of just a week and a half already. They have two different stations of mm-hmm. players going, and and everyone's getting reps. Young guys are getting 40 and 50 reps, and they've made a very big point of that. You know, Brett, walk us through a little bit of that. What is the win conver- conversion? What is player development? Why has Nebraska been so poor at that, and what can Matt Rule do to, to really make a big difference in that? Yeah, so uh, those two metrics you mentioned I put together because, um, you know, it's it's you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You can't only look at the raw recruiting rankings. I think some of the other publications will just – Uh, gloss over that and say, oh, they're the top recruiters, pick them to win. There's so much more goes into it. I mean, they're there. It doesn't just end on National Signing Day. They're there four or five years on campus. Something's got to be happening there when they're on campus. So, and that's weight room, that's strength and conditioning, uh, development at the players by position coaches, coordinators, head coaches. Uh, Do the schemes work? Are they recruiting towards the scheme? Um, So all that goes into it. And and what those numbers are, it's, it's comparing the raw recruiting rankings versus the actual win percentage, the game grader on the field. And then the other mm-hmm. one was uh, player development, which is the same deal. You start with the recruiting rankings, and then you compare it to what they're actually sending to the pros uh, on draft day. So, um, yeah, Nebraska, to, to no one's surprise here, it's been a rough five-year stretch for the program. They're <laughs> towards the bottom there. They recruit really well, best in the division, but nothing has really been there to show for it. And part of it, and that doesn't, there's not really a metric to show it, but it's player retention. You know, you look at these top recruits that they sign each year and then fast forward two or three years, they're no longer in Lincoln. Uh, so many of them have left. Um, so that's one thing that I think Matt Rule needs to focus on is player retention along with player development. So 
Um, and I think it's important to understand the strengths and, you know, potential limitations of your program. And I think that with Nebraska uh, nation best fans, you know, the NIL is going to be there. The fan support will always be there. It's never going away. It's one of the strongest out there. But on the other side of the coin, they don't have the geography on their side. Uh, you know, they're not walking around uh, South Florida where there's 100 five stars or, or, or in Southern California or Texas. So uh, given the geography, you got to be the, the best developers in the conference. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's something that they can definitely get to. And I think that for Nebraska to hit their strengths as a program, they need to reclaim that, that spot as the top developers. In the Deed the Glory Memorial Stadium, produced by Nebraska Public Media. From the original 1923 stands to today's 90,000 fan venue, In the Deed the Glory Memorial Stadium reveals the storied history, evolution, and significance of the stadium that is synonymous with Saturdays in Nebraska. Nebraska Public Media's newest local sports documentary follows the evolution of the stadium. It features interviews with Tom Osborne, Eric Crouch, Trev Alberts, sports reporter and Husker historian Mike Babcock, university archivists, librarians, and Husker fans. It reveals little-known and lost-to-history facts, such as an underground indoor track and a partial South Stadium collapse in the 1990s. It honors the 100th anniversary of the stadium built to honor the men and women who served in World War I. Memorial Stadium cost $450,000 to build, all financed by pledges made by university students, staff, alumni, and boosters. Watch! Sunday, August 13th at 7 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media and Facebook Live. Visit nebraskapublicmedia.org slash memorialstadium. Well, Brett, you mentioned NIL there, and I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. And I want to, if we can get about 10, 15 more minutes of, of you, if we can. I know you have done shows today with Vegas. You've done shows with Spurs Up from South Carolina with Virginia Tech. I mean, we're the fourth show of your night, so I appreciate your Man's time so demand. much. He's, he's, uh, he's a hot ticket. But, but you mentioned NIL, and I'd be remiss. And, Dave, I'm actually going to let you lead this part of the discussion. This is the last part, 10, 15 minutes, if we can get this from you, Brett. NIL, transfer portal, the, the realignment of college football. I just want to get some thoughts. And I know Dave and Boomer, you guys have been talking about this a lot. You know, I'm going to kind of open this up to you, Brett. What are your thoughts right now, the, co- the, the, the state of college football right now, starting with NIL and portal and, and uh, college realignment, I mean, all the changes that are going on? Maybe, maybe let's focus on realignment since that's been in the news. What are your thoughts right now with the, the changes in, uh, you know, the Pac-12 and everything that's been going on over there? Yeah, well, a uh, crazy couple of weeks we've had. It's, um, you know, I saw some of the rumors, the tweets throughout the summer, but I had been so focused on getting the, the preview book to, to get published. I didn't really follow the storylines. And then all the news broke last week. It was pretty shocking to see with Colorado leaving, then Arizona, then Arizona State and Utah. Um, yeah, it's just and then Oregon and Washington, the Big Ten. That was a total surprise to me. So it's a topic that I don't really follow too much until it happens. And of course, now I'm going to evaluate the heck out of it. But I think overall, I'm, I'm more of a traditionalist. I love the old history of the game. I love the old regionality, you know, uh, playing your in-state rival, your, your regional rivals. So it just it doesn't really excite me to see Oregon and Washington playing against some of these East Coast and Midwest teams. It just doesn't seem right. Um, I know it's a good financial decision, and I'm sure the Big Ten suits are happy and, uh, and the member institutions will get more of a, you know, more cash back and all that. But to, to a fan, I, I know, it's I'm kind of against the change we've seen. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's the end of an era this year. It's a little nostalgic putting together the book this year because it's the last time we'll see the Pac-12 
last time we'll see some of these divisions and last time you'll see blue bloods like Texas and OU in the big 12 and the LA schools out in the Pac-12. So really a shame, but um, you know, we're still love college football and it's just going to look a little bit different next year. I was going to ask, what do you think the long-term effects of realignment is in a school like Nebraska, where we're now in this gigantic super conference coast to coast and with all of our unique situation, how does, how does it affect us? Well, it's interesting there. I, I mean, uh, number one, the financial benefit. I mean, Big Ten is far and away the number one, uh, them in the SEC. So you're positioned well long-term in terms of if it still becomes a, an arms race for the facilities and the coaching salaries and support staff salaries. So you're going to be on the cutting edge of all of that. That'll be nice. Uh, you have coast-to-coast exposure, which is huge. Um, you know, now a little bit more of a West Coast presence. I know the Calabrasca movement failed, but I mean, it's always good to have <laughs> coast-to-coast exposure. So you're all over the place there. Um, I don't know. I don't think it actually changes too much for Nebraska. Um, so if it was still a, a BCS structure, I think it'd be really, really hard to get to a BCS national title game out of the, the new Big Ten, just because there's Ohio State, Michigan, and the Big Ten West teams, and now these the best from the Pac-12. But in an expanded bracket, um, I don't know. I don't think it changes too much uh, to finish in the top 12. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that Nebraska is uh, being too impacted by this. Brett, you're, you're from Pennsylvania, and uh, you followed programs like Penn State closely all your life, probably, I would imagine. Um, you know, Penn State was uh, an independent for a long time. And, and you mentioned, you know, in the, our Blue Bloods conversation, Penn State, you know, has – a lot of undefeated seasons, but failed to, to win those national titles back in the 60s and 70s under Joe Pa because maybe they weren't perceived as being as good as some of the other schools out there because of Eastern football not being as strong, right? And ultimately, Joe Pa decided to get Penn State in the end of the Big Ten, in part maybe because the Eastern schools like Syracuse and West Virginia and BC never could agree to getting into an Eastern super conference of sorts. Right. You know, um, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I just, it's interesting to me. I, I, I think all of us here probably consider ourselves traditionalists, you know, to some degree, but I think Nebraska fans and maybe Penn state fans kind of fall in the same category. You know, everything started changing for us in 1996. It's, it's been 25 years of change plus because, our, our childhood was the big eight when it was us in Oklahoma and everything changed in 96. And, and, you know, um, that that's, that's a long, long gone, obviously. Right. So um, I'd love to be able to get back to an, an era where we feel like we can, can have 10, 11 really great games, right. Opposed to having some, some law techs and Northern Illinois thrown in there. So do you feel like maybe an outcome of, of this consolidation results in, in, better better matchups across the board throughout the entire regular season? Well, yeah, I think you'll have better um, – well, better is all relative. I think you'll have more power five versus power five matchups. Um, yeah. Better to me, sure. I think that when you look over the course of college football history, it's about playing your regional rivals, you know, the rivals where you your coworkers are alums of the other school and it's there's a lot of uh, personal rivalries or family rivalries on the line. And when you move away from your, ge- yeah, your geographical footprint there, you have less of that. Like uh, an example would be West Virginia. Uh, now they're in the Big 12. They don't have any school near them. Uh, they'd much rather be playing Pitt and Virginia Tech and, and the East Coast teams every year. And uh, you see their attendance and their support go down. I think there's more to it about playing your local teams. Um, 
you know, my alma mater, Boston College, they're on an island up there. There's no one around there to play. It's like UConn and UMass yeah. and then nothing. You got to go five hours to get to Syracuse. So uh, and I think regionality is such a big part of it. That, that excites people. Look at the South. Uh, they have all their in-state rivals and they're all a few hours away from each other stadium wise. And the rivalries are so deep. So um, I think a lot of it is, is about proximity. And well, I know that that might not apply to Nebraska as much being, uh, you know, in the Midwest and being what is the 500 mile radius. But um, I think a lot of it goes geography. And uh, when you take that away, I think you lose a little bit of it. So I don't know. That's We'll see what happens. I think there will be some new matchups. I don't know that they'd be better, but it'll be new. It, you know, Brett, I, I think what you're expressing, I've heard from a lot of other fans. So I, I, I completely get it. Um, do, do you think that college football, the support or interest is going to wane because of the changes? Well, I think that um, you'll. I think it's going to be more focused on the postseason, um, and not to go the full extreme. But think of March Madness. Think of NCAA basketball, yep. where um, it, it is mostly, you know, it, it's mostly focused on February and March, and really the March Madness bracket when all the teams are involved, and it's a fun couple of weekends. But the, most of the country isn't tuning in in December and January to watch college hoops, to watch an average weeknight game. Um, because they know that they have that big reward in March and what happens here doesn't really matter and they'll catch up in March when the conference tourney start. So I just hope that college football doesn't go that route where some of these regular season games lose some edge and people, the casual fans, will think, oh, we'll just tune in in December at conference title time and, and we'll see who makes this mega bracket. So um, I think your core base is always going to be there and you guys are clearly in that if you're doing a football podcast and uh, the, the core <laughs> fans will always be there, but I think you might lose some of that you might lose some of that casual base that might just turn it off for a few months and tune in when it quote unquote counts in December. So I don't know. It won't impact how I view sport. I mean, I'm, I'm a diehard. You guys are all over it. and uh, We're going to love every second of it. Do you think it is possible though, that like you said, if we do get more power five versus power five matchups and it's not the, you know, Michigan's playing whoever the hell they're playing and, you know, George is playing UT Martin that you might draw some more casual fans if it's now Michigan playing Oregon, followed by USC, followed by UCLA or, you know, Georgia playing actual conference foes on occasion. Is, is that a chance? Because you see like the NFL, they've got a big postseason and interest doesn't seem to wane in their regular season. Is, is that a possibility for college football? I don't know. Yeah, I think that could help. It definitely will help. Uh, it'll definitely help in stadium attendance um it's hard to get excited and, and drive hours and hours and pay thousands of bucks to go watch an fcs team uh come into your home stadium so i think fan attendance in person will go up um the only comparison also i throw with the nfl when you're looking to look at viewership numbers uh the fantasy market is so big in the nfl where you might have fans where say your team's not even playing or they're on monday night you're still going to watch all sunday to see your fantasy players and see the games you're betting on so uh i don't know if it's a direct comparison but i do think that uh in stadium will go up, and I think the TV will be about the same. But I don't know; it's all it's all uncertain. We'll, we'll see what happens. So college yeah. fantasy—that's what we need. Is that what you're? <laughs> the and... But we get a preview book for that, Boomer. <laughs> Jack's been that playing really good inside Brett. for years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, oh, nice. Well, uh, you know, let's Dave take us the parting shots here because. Brett, this has been a long day for him. <laughs> yeah, really appreciate it, Brett. Let's uh, start with Rob, and then we'll end with Brett. Well, first, I'd just like to thank Brett. 
First, I'd just like to thank Brett for coming on. I, I, I appreciate every year. This is one of my favorite shows just to sit back and be able to listen to. Um, and secondly, um, I just would like to say that I, I totally don't believe you on your West predictions and Nebraska is going to win it. So, <laughs> Okay, Kool-Aid Rob. Boomer. No, again, just like to give a good shout out to Brett and Pick 6 Previews. I do enjoy reading it. It's just chock full of good information. And I uh, saw Honky got a nice uh, physical copy of it, too. That's fun to fun to look at. And now we're just getting close to football season. So it's just around the corner, folks. So enjoy it. Yep, absolutely. Mac. Yeah, I guess echo what the other guy said. Thank you, Brett, so much for coming on. Always adds a, a nice national element to the show. And I, I just kind of appreciate your processes and what you go through. And again, I, I I just I get so jealous when I think about how you've kind of carved out your little lifestyle and then you've got this whole thing going. And it, I'm so happy for you. I hope it continues for you, bud. And, you know, anytime you're around the Lincoln area or we can hook up, absolutely let us know. It's always a good time. We got a new facility to tour, you know, so it's true. Just going to dangle that carrot out there. Shangri-La. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It cut, out. I, yeah, it cut out. I couldn't hear much of that, but I'm back in now. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, well, Rob just said that, uh, you know, he just he disagreed with you because he thought Nebraska should finish first in the West. So, you know, but that's Rob. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's Rob. Don't take offense to that, right? No, I love um, it. Ten and two by the poll, so we'll see. <laughs> Ten and two by the Science. Brett, as always, thank you so much. I again, you are your ability to come on here for an hour and fifteen minutes, and you know, you know, essentially, I mean, we're pretty easy, but still, take on the five of us and every question that we throw at you after a full day of doing shows with with different programs from Vegas to South Carolina to Virginia and and everywhere in between. I'm I never cease to be impressed by what you yeah. have accomplished and what you've created, and that's what Mac was saying in his parting shot. I, I know you kind of cut out for a second, but that was what Mac was saying too. What you've created, and then to create what you've done from scratch, from start. I mean, I remember going back and forth with you on Twitter back in 2017 when you were just getting started, and <laughs> yep. just you're a Heisman voter for cripes' sakes. Yeah, you know you're you're on the the what uh, the all American one of the all American picking teams. I mean, this is just amazing. It's just amazing you. what you've done. So so Brett, number one, we love you. God love you. Every year we're going to have you on here to start off my other parting shot. And then we're going to let Brett have the last one. But my other parting shot is the day by day Nebraska documentary. Uh, they had part one a year ago that was released. Part two hits the local theaters this week. Um, uh, the documentary follows the Huskers 95 national championship season with several in-depth interviews. The movie will be screened at se seven Marcus theater locations in the Omaha Lincoln area. For one week beginning August 11th with sneak previews at select theaters on August 10th. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully we can all, you know, get a chance to either watch it. I don't know if there's streaming stuff. There'll be more stuff to learn on that. But uh, anyways, I just wanted to, to, to put that out there. But again, Brett, you rock. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks, Hunk. All right, Brett, get us out of here. You have the last parting shot. Yeah, well, thank you all for, for all the praise. I know I cut out for part of that, but I uh, really appreciate all of it. And uh, thanks for having me on every year. You guys are one of the first to, to have me on, the, you know, one of my first shows I've ever been on. So I appreciate it from back then all the way in. It was great to meet you in person last year. I really had a great time in Lincoln. It was everything I imagined it'd be, really the, the, the hub of college football. Uh, nowhere else in the country cares more than Nebraska. I, I can say that certainly. And uh, it was great to see it in person. I want to come back when you got it back and running, though. I think I probably picked the worst week ever to come see it. It was right <laughs> after the coach firing, and it was, uh, you know, Ooh, kind of a blowout game. But yeah. 
I'll, I'll come back in a few years when Matt Rule has it fixed, and I can't wait to see it. But, um, yeah, great to meet you guys. Uh, a lot of respect for what you've built. Um, again, I tune in throughout the season, especially some of these bigger matchups. Uh, you're throwing together radio montages and uh, highlight reels and all that kind of stuff. So keep up the great work, the great coverage. It's much appreciated here on the East Coast. So um, thanks for having me, and good luck this season. Hey, Brett, okay, I'm going to put you on the, on the spot one time before we go. One through ten, Matt Rule gets this thing turned around at Nebraska. Yes, no, one through ten. I'll give it a uh, it was like like ten being yes, ten being like national championship. <laughs> it you know, <laughs> and two, two being two, two being conference championship. <laughs> oh wow, that's the scale. Man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, you know something like an eight or a nine. I think it could. Uh, it has a yeah! high Hey, you've seen the ceiling at Nebraska. I don't. It's not going to be a 1990s dynasty, but uh, it can be. It can be a competitive program again. It, it will be. It's just there's too much support. There's too much passion. Uh, and uh, even if it's not rule, it's going to get fixed eventually. You're going to click eventually. Um, and nowadays, you see how quickly things can change. I mean, look at the forecast of some of these one-year coach changes. Uh, TCU, a great example you brought up. Yeah, Florida State, a couple cycles of transfers. So it's possible, and I think they'll be back eventually. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, great show. It's really thanks to Brett Siancia of Pick 6 Previews for joining us and really kicking off our season officially. Uh, so for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. GBR. Heard at Sports Network Production.